0: This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz Basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
1: All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm your host, Andy Larson. Ben Dowsett, uh, associate editor of Salt City Hoops, joins me as always. I'm managing editor of Salt City Hoops, beat writer for the Utah Jazz for KSL.com. This is the first week of jazz basketball. We're finally back, baby. All right. We're going to be talking about the Utah Jazz, the NBA today on Salt City Hoops. Uh, Media day this Monday. We've had three days of training camp. We've got the Jazz's first preseason game Sunday. That to look forward to, as well as another game then Tuesday. Kind of a, a semi back to back, not quite back to back, but two games in three days. Uh, trip to Hawaii. We'll be covering that. Uh, I which, wish we were
2: covering it live.
1: <laughs> we admittedly will not be going to Hawaii, which is a sad state of affairs, but oh, yeah. one that is mandated by the budget situation that we are in. <laughs> um, but anyway, we'll be covering it on our on our respective websites uh and yeah i mean it's it's jazz basketball season finally we've been talking about basketball for three months and kind of analyzing how the jazz have been setting themselves up to be in this position now and finally they're here uh we're gonna have basically today's show will be using these quotes uh from media day and those three days of training camp We'll kind of play one, break it down, play one, break it down. Uh, Ben had an exclusive interview with Alec Burks that we'll play later on in the show uh, that you haven't heard anywhere else, so we're going to be playing that. And then, uh, as always, this is a social show, so please feel free to chime in with your tweets at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett, and you can always call us 877 353 if you want to talk jazz basketball.
2: Are we going to play the whole Berks interview? I'm going to write an article on it, so we can't play the whole thing.
1: We can play the whole thing. Uh, I guess the, we can. the people who listen to the radio show and the people who read your article are not necessarily true. in the same bubble, right? That's very true. Anyway, and it was good. Yeah, it was it was good stuff. I think we should play the whole interview. All right, you, I can, I consent. I consent. Okay, send. good. Um but first let's hear from the from the jazz executives, Dennis Lindsay, et etc. I want to break down this first segment into three different questions uh, about the Jazz's identity, whether or not the defense, that, that number one defense in the league that really rocked last season for the last two months, are they back? You know, mm-hmm. is, Can we count on that defense to perform come the regular season? And finally, talking about Trey Burke in that point guard position, because I think that's the biggest question mark around the Utah Jazz right now. Definitely. Well, let's start with the Jazz's identity. And I thought this first quote from Dennis Lindsay that we have is interesting. Uh, when Coach K came to visit the Jazz practice, Let, let's hear from
3: uh, Dennis Lindsay. Coach K was in our building uh, a few weeks ago a few weeks ago during uh, open training uh, period or optional training period. And he, he had something really good to say that Quinn and I hung on to, that standards are better than rules. And we're trying to create those standards and then have them carry over uh, multi-season.
1: All right, so by the way, Dennis Lindsay said rules there with the U rather than rolls with an O. That's a mistake that both uh, Jody Genesee and uh, Ben you made as well. I'm, yeah,
2: I totally th- – it sounded like you said rolls. But... but
1: he said rules, and I, and, and there I think the, co- the quote makes a lot more sense. It Basically, does. the idea is rather than having these strict rules, yes, you're going to be to practice on time or else you're going to be fined. Um, it's much more productive to have kind of organizational standards, so that if you're not meeting them, you're kind of letting down the social network of the team, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's true of practice, hard work, you know, like I said, timeliness, all sorts of things that that um, have mandate a, an organization's identity.
2: And I think those those themes in particular were were particularly prevalent all over the place for, on the media day mm-hmm. in ge- especially from those three exe- from the executives especially Dennis and Randy Rigby Quinn Snyder has his sort of coach speak that he goes into which is awesome in its own right but we heard a lot about the culture and about the continuation and about those types of you know sort of macro elements if you will to a certain point
1: yeah, no, I agree. In fact, here's another one, uh, kind of about the Jazz's identity. Dennis Lindsay, on on how different rival executives have told him about how how hard the Jazz play. Let's hear it.
3: And the one thing that our our comp, our competitors around the league said is you guys play really hard, and that sounds simple, but it, we can't we can't be a team that coast. We have to be a very hard playing connected group. And I think we had that, but I think there to reestablish that there's there's going to be some things, there's some integration with new players that are going to be key so they understand our level and our standards.
2: And that was also a big theme throughout media day as far as keeping the energy level high for the jazz and that's been a theme all through training camp i've noticed as well is how do you maintain you know you were especially defensively of course we know at least some portion of defense is effort and 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 that sort of thing and the question is how do you being the best defense in the league last season at the end of the year how do you keep the foot on the gas keep the you know keep wanting to be the give that 110 percent every single night
1: yeah no that's a real question and i think that, that's that been a worry for the Jazz. I mean, the idea of jazz basketball, so to speak, th- that Jerry Sloan and even Frank Layden established before him is that we're going to play tough-nosed offense and defense, play tough and give it 100% every night, be hard workers. And, and really, honestly, Carl Malone and John Stockton personified that mm-hmm. more than anybody else, right? No question. Uh, but it, it's encouraging to see that that trend is continuing despite the retirement of those two players, despite the retirement of Jerry Sloan, uh, and, and really this kind of period where in the Ty Corbin era, where I, I think the team tried its hardest – but what didn't necessarily play with that the force that I think Quinn Snyder and Dennis Lindsay are looking for right now.
2: Well, and I think I mean, of course, you can't it can't just be like the you know the traditional joke is a, a football team comprised of seven year olds could not be the Chicago Bears even if they tried their hardest. That you have to have both, right? right like you, you have, have to have talent. the right stuff in place, not only just talent, but you have to have that talent doing the right things, which I think may have been a concern during the Ty Corbin era as well. Yeah, uh, may, have, may have been, is putting it nicely.
1: No, I, yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I yeah, Ty Corbin did not coach particularly well. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um yeah, no, I agree. And sticking to this Jazz identity uh it is important to the organization as a mm-hmm. whole and I, I I completely understand why because you know I I don't know we both watch eighty two NBA games of just Jazz basketball and there are a lot of teams that come in here and don't give a hundred percent for whatever reason
2: yeah uh, sometimes yeah. it's because it's hard which yeah. that sounds weird but the intensity level of the game today is so different from what it was twenty years ago I think that's something the average layperson maybe doesn't think about too often you have to be the the conditioning level of these guys like when you look back in the seventies like. Guys played the whole game. Will Chamberlain didn't play in the 70s, but Will Chamberlain averaged over 48 minutes a game in one yeah, a one season. Or, oh yeah, Most, I guess right in, in the 60s. Yeah, yeah that's and uh, you—that's just completely impossible today. You can't do that because there's too much. There's too much going on.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agreed. Um, in fact, let's let's go ahead and move on because yeah. I think we're on the same page on this. Uh, talking about the defense, and again, last year the Jazz had the best defensive rating in the league after the All-Star break. Really, that's a nice way to say after the Jazz traded Dennis mm-hmm. Um and, and to be fair, they also put together a lot of things as well. Um, but the big question is whether or not the Jazz would be able to retain that. And in particular, would they be you know, the, kind of the number one defense in the last decade that they were for those last two months, or are they just going to be a top five defense? Because to me, that question says a lot about how good the Jazz are going to be, right?
4: Yeah,
2: well, there's, I think there's no question, and the the level to which they really were playing, and we've been talking about this a lot, a, a real regression from where they were last season could still see them as a top five defense.
1: Right, but you're not going. I I think that really hurts their contention status, right? If they if they go from say. 95th, 95 D rating to like 101 let's say Mm -hmm. that means you're still probably a top 5 10 defensive team yeah um but you're not you're not you know that's seven points a game by on average that's going to get you 10 15 20 wins a season you know what i mean
2: yeah and if the assuming the offense remains the same of course there's no question that's a, a sizable drop off
1: right uh, let's hear from Quinn Snyder on this. He he kind of I, – I love, first of all, Quinn Snyder's analogies. Seriously, they're awesome. Um, This is his bike analogy for what this defense uh, needs to do.
4: Um, it, It's like riding a bike, and hopefully you never forget how to do it. But if you haven't ridden the bike in a while, you've you got to put the chain back on. The seat may be too low. You know, it's rusty. Your tires are flat. So we need to get our bike back in shape.
2: I love those so much. But first of all, I'm hugely honored because that was in response to my question, and I believe I got the first analogy of the 2015-16 season Woo-hoo! out of Quinn Snyder.
1: It wasn't a football analogy.
2: No, which was kind of surprising yeah. to me. He's actually made less football analogies thus far, although he did think? Oh, well,
1: I think he's made like four or five. Oh, has it, maybe
2: I've missed one or two. I've only caught the one, no, I
1: think. I, I, well, okay, and maybe Dennis has made a couple too. Okay, um, yeah. I I want to create like a fan blog called... Dennis Lindsay's and Quinn Snyder's football analogies.blogspot.com. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still coming up with a good name, but um, just because they, they use it so much. The bike thing, though, I mean, I, I get it because, look, you don't forget how to ride a bike. You don't forget how to play defense. But you may not be at peak condition, yeah. you know, for whatever reason.
2: All uh, this, that's the thing about all his analogies. They're always spot on. He's not just making them for the sake of making analogies. It may be once in a while. but I
1: think sometimes the football analogies run out of steam.
2: I've like, found them to be fairly excellent across the board for like, the most part. We
1: don't have this quote, but it, it's the one that he said. You know, we've got a quarterback uh, battle between Trey Burke, the returning starter, and then Raul Neto, the the freshman, and then Bryce Cotton, the redshirt freshman, uh. <laughs> and then uh, Rudy uh, Rodney Hood and and Alec Burks are running backs who have played the point a little bit, and that it, it kind of fell apart at the end, right? Okay. Yeah, but, fair enough. Uh, I, I yeah, I mean it's it's a different sport. I still love them. <laughs> that's fair. I, yeah, no, I, I think that's a big question. Because, uh, again, if the Jazz can have the same kind of defense as they did at the end of last season, uh, that's they will have a successful year. There's just no it's way— It's impossible not to. Yeah. There's... that's.
2: I mean, I, we literally, I went back and I looked at this. Since 2000, there have only been three full-season teams that have had a defensive mark at that mark or lower than what the Jazz were after the All-Star break— all three were in that o three o four season. One of them was that great Pistons team that we all remember for being like one of the best defensive teams ever. And they—I don't remember who the other two were—but that was the final year before uh, zone defense rules changed and a bunch of the defensive rules changed. And then offense spiked after that relative to competition. I don't—I think you could very likely say that no team in history has ever outperformed all the other defenses in the league by as much as the Jazz did after the All Star break last year.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. Now. Uh- Kevin Pelton, I think, looked at this uh, where if you look at the teams that did well on defense in the last two months of the season, they don't always perform no. well the next season. A, lo- a lot of times it's, you know, for whatever reason, they, they have a blip, but they, don't, they can't do it for an 82-game stretch. And I think that's a real question for the Jazz. A- again, injuries have a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. If Rudy Gobert goes down, I think the Jazz defense starts to look pretty pedestrian.
2: I don't know about pedestrian. It gets significantly worse, but I don't know about pedestrian. I mean, we, we quoted it all the time. They were still, they had that same mark after the All Star break last season when he sat.
1: Sure, but then uh, you, A, you're playing against bench lineups. Yeah. Um, and, and B, I, I think you have, uh, you still have, say, Dante Exxon out there, which they yep. want this season. And, and I think they're going to be kind of integrating some of those offensive players like Alec Burks into mm-hmm. the lineup. Uh, who may not have defensive as their specialties, like say an Elijah Millsap, who I think it's less minutes this season than next. Yeah, those are good points. Although still is on the team. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll talk about that. Yeah, that we will get to that later. in just a little bit. Yeah. Um. Do we have the quote by the way from day one from about? Okay, so then we ask how's this? How does this defense look? You know, how Quinn? How do these habits? Uh, how are they looking? Did people forget them? Did the players forget?
4: Forget those habits over the summer? Let's let's hear what Quinn had to say. Today was much better. It was a little more controlled. I think sometimes guys have so much energy that it speeds them up. Uh, you know, we stopped it a couple times. Just an emphasis for us is, you know, winning the battle of the ball, you know, taking care of it. Um, our defense, you know, of course. I mean, it's true of anybody. But it, it, some of the turnovers yesterday and some of the sloppiness was a direct result of some good things we were doing. And we talked about that today. It's, you know, it can depend on what you focus on. And uh, we need to focus on both sides.
2: And I, there was one part, that one thing he said today, which I don't think we're going to have, but I remember, I believe it was in response to one of your questions, actually, where he said guys aren't sitting at home over the summer practicing their defense. They aren't, they aren't practicing their side-to-side slides at home. They're practicing dribbling and shooting and doing things like that. I mean, maybe the very most disciplined guys practice drills that will help them defensively, but there's no way to simulate an in-game, I mean, scrimmages and whatnot, but the actual intensity level.
1: Right. And even if you are, you know, practicing on your on your lateral movements, say, and they do do some of that at P3, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you're not figuring out how to work with five guys on a floor on a string, as Quinn likes to say. Right.
2: And even more specifically, those exact five guys, like the guys on the Jazz's <laughs> right. roster, because it's very important who you're playing with there.
1: Right. No, I, I agree. And so that's that's kind of what you have to figure out. But it's good to hear that the habits are back. Right. Yeah, because it, it very well could have not. They could have forgotten them.
2: It would have been easy to rest back on their laurels after how successful they were last year. Like, what? we, You know, we have so much cushion, we're going to be fine. And,
1: and I would say that Quinn, it, had that been the case, Quinn would not have been afraid to rip them a little bit.
2: I don't think he would have either. I think he absolutely would have said I, something.
1: You know, I think we heard last year in training camp when the Jazz's defense wasn't there. And he, I mean, he said, kept explaining how far there was left to go on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. He doesn't sound at all the same this year.
2: No, and also his—I've noticed just to, just a bit his tone has changed over each of the days. It's clearly gotten better just from day to day. Yeah,
1: let's transition into this point guard question because it is, I think, the biggest question mark with mm-hmm. this team is how the point guard production will stand up, uh, you know, against the rest of the rosters, uh, and in particular Trey Burke. It sounds like had. A lot of changes has, has both changed physically and mentally let 's hear first from Dennis Lindsay on how trey Burke 's body changed over the season
3: we 've been very patient with with all of our players as we have been with trey and we sat down with him relative to our expectations in the off season. I think we 've been very clear and Mark McCowan and our p three group came back with him being the most improved. Uh, not only is he more athletic he 's a safer athlete and so moving forward we expect that group to get better. I'm really interested by that safer
2: athlete part of that comment. That to me signals that they're they're working with Trey on some of his the the processes of the way he runs or jumps or or whatever and making it uh, making it more sustainable long term, so to lower his injury risk, is that how you took that? Yeah, phrase? no,
1: I I agree, and I think that's one of the things that P three's doctors try to figure out is, and, and honestly, the doctors with the Jazz is, you know, what we heard this term proprioception, for example, all the time during the off season about a guy's balance. Um, if someone's using their left leg more than their right leg, I think that's an injury concern. Trey, you know, to his credit, has not been a concern health-wise, really, in in his career. You know, he he broke the finger, but that's a fluke thing. You're not going to work on finger strength, I guess, in order to make it healthy. Work on your finger strength, Trey. Don't, yeah. Let's worry about other things. Um, But I agree. I think that that kind of shows where we are in terms of injury prevention as a science at this point. Yeah. Let's move on to his next quote. Uh, Actually, this one's from Trey Burke talking about his own body, how he's changed.
5: I think I think it's both. You know, I think I've I've slimmed down a lot. You know, a lot of people said I, you know, really look slimmer. You know, I think I, I feel lighter. You know, I feel feel like I, you know, can move laterally, you know,
6: and vertically better.
2: And you can ta- you can see it. When when you look at him, he looks noticeably thinner. Part of that he did mention, I think, right after that part of the quote is that he was sick recently, yeah, which that dropped a little bit. But I think it also was his intention to lose a couple of pounds this offseason.
1: season. I'm curious to see how that changes this game because I, I agree that it, he is he is slimmer, skinnier for sure than what he was before. Um, but when you when you talk to Quinn, at least I kind of get the feeling that he's not completely happy with where uh, Trey's body is, and maybe because he keeps referencing the sickness that that Trey had, huh. that explained why he he was so skinny. Um,
2: I hadn't picked on that up. And, picked up and on and that maybe, as And
1: maybe and maybe this is me reading the tea leaves too much, me, reading between the lines of Quinn's quotes. But when when I asked about Trey's game thus far, or really about the point guard battle. Uh, he seemed hesitant to want to say that Trey was there. That that Trey had made significant improvements over the last season.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. And we have heard several other jazz players, Hayward in particular, talking about how well Neto has been playing.
1: That's the big thing to me. Is as Hayward said, Wolf looked good running the show today. Yeah, that's the quote. Running the show could just mean playing the point guard position. Absolutely, yeah. but it could also mean being the starting point guard. Again, running the show is is. Not on that, that one, one I would air to your backup quarterback. Is it
2: no? But on that one, I would air to because I think it's pretty clear at this point that they have not yet decided on who a starter is going to be, and they're going to give run to each of those guys. as but far But as-
1: that's what I'm saying is if they're giving run to Neto with a, with the first team in practice, then I think it's possible that he starts Sunday again. I've been like on the Neto might start train for so long that maybe I'm coloring my own beliefs like, and I'm you know, the like, only
2: guy on the cotton might start at some point during this season Tra- I, I, by the way please let me go on the record I do not think Bryce Cotton will start opening night or will start anytime soon I just think there's a possibility he could start at some point this I think
1: no I think that's absolutely possible you know if, if you get an injury if you want Trey to be still be your sixth man off the bench um and or Neto and Burke really struggle, and Cotton's kind of that guy. I mean, Jamal Tinsley started ten games in a Jazz uniform as recently as two seasons ago. Like, yeah, there there are there's a precedent for bad starting point guards yeah, or fringy is. NBA starting point guards in a Jazz roster.
2: Trey had another quote uh, about that was less about his body, and I think a little bit more about kind of shrugging off his bad nights and and working on his preparation a little bit. Let's hear that one really fast.
5: Yeah, after a, a bad shoot night, you know, most guys go to the gym after the game you know and, and uh get their reps in and, uh i think that's where i am now you know preparing uh, preparation is uh is key and preparation is something that i'm you know getting much better at right now so uh i think that's the biggest thing is just it's just making sure i'm getting my reps in and, uh, before and after practice and uh you know just going from there
2: I think that's that also goes along in my opinion to a certain point with we had a there was an article I believe in the Salt Lake Tribune and there was also reports on another radio station about Trey Burke maybe he was doing a little too much partying in his first two seasons. Maybe he was not. I, I don't think by any means he was like a, a disruption or anything like no, that. No, but he,
1: he was a twenty year old.
2: Exactly, and he was he, he maybe you know twenty year old that just got an unfathomable sum of money. Sometimes you don't necessarily do all the stuff you should be doing right away. And I think it's good to hear that he himself thinks he's he's maturing in a sense.
1: Yeah, and I think part of that's having a daughter or a son. Sorry. Uh, and I think part of that is also this realization that year three is is kind of the put up or shut up year for mm-hmm. Trey Burke in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I was I was happy to hear him say after a bad shooting night, I think last year he would have said, you just got to go out the next day and put up, you know, do the, the same, same shots thing. and yeah. do the same thing. And we heard about that, not, about him uh, wanting to stay confident and and again, doing the same thing that the shots will eventually fall. I don't think that's the right tact. I think the right tact is to make yourself better. And that's what I heard from Trey Burke and media day.
2: Yeah, I would agree.
1: Uh, one more quote we've got from Dennis Lindsay on, okay, let's say that this point guard situation doesn't work out. Sure, Trey Burke, uh, Raul Neto, and Bryce Cotton are all 22, 23 years old, but they're still not established NBA players. What's the next step if, if it turns out come November, December that this point guard rotation doesn't work out at all?
3: And it's a bottom line business, Mike, you, you mentioned it, and if we're not getting the results that we want, we have uh, close to $7 million in, in room under the cap that we are authorized to use, um, and, but we want to use that well. We have significant uh, pick and asset base built up that we're able to address a deficiency as it comes along the roster, whether that's the point guard or any of the other positions going forward.
2: So that's a pretty clear. I don't know if you want to say warning, but I do think it functions as a warning to the three guys here. It's like, listen, this is not. It is not a guarantee that any of the three of you are really going to be doing anything. If you can't, if you can't prove that it's a that it's going to work with you, we've got the assets to bring someone else in and see what they can do.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, this is a good middle ground between uh, acquiring someone now and uh, and kind of discouraging the young guys that you have in place and just giving them full bore no matter what happens. You guys are, are the point guards for this team because yeah. you know they haven't deserved it at this point. Uh, I think we, we will say that the Jazz's point guard spot was the worst point guard position out of any team in the league last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you've taken the best point guard out of that in Dante Exum. It is a real question to see if any of these guys can be anywhere near starting NBA caliber because they weren't last season.
2: No, and I think, I do think, well, I was just about to say I do think Trey has been the closest,
1: but he's not. it's not a starting NBA point guard. No, at, no, if he plays like he did last year.
2: Yeah, um, I'm. I'm. I'm really excited to see how this develops. I'm. I'm honestly at this point even just a little bit excited to see who starts on Sunday. Even though I, I am think. Too. It, I think it's. I really do think it's gonna be Trey. But I, I do think there's a little more intrigue to it now than if you had asked me four days ago.
1: I I, I agree with that, and I think that I could see them starting Raul out of the gate. I, I'm still on the Neto starting bandwagon slash Boy. the only person on this bandwagon. Um,
2: I just, I do you not worry? Just I know we got to go to break in a second, but do you not just worry about what that might do to Trey mentally? If he, not, you know, maybe that's just a sign right there that it, that that he's never going to be part of the future here. But if the, you know, if you even think there's an inkling that he's going to be part of your future. And you go away from him before even seeing him in a single actual NBA game this year with the new We've things he's done
1: seeing him in a new and uh, uh, we're gonna see him in an actual nBA game the way you sell it to him is say, look we're gonna play Raul eighteen minutes with the starters you get thirty minutes with backups and a lot more
2: yeah I guess you could do it that way right yeah
1: and honestly that makes more sense basketball wise in terms of having units on the floor
2: maybe depending on depending
1: on how good Raul is yeah. but like assuming that he's like a uh, capable passer and doesn't shoot too many shots.
2: Right. Well, what if teams force him to start shooting lots of shots? Because <laughs> well, the other players on that on that starting lineup are just way better.
1: And maybe that's the question. I mean, at least for preseason, they're not scouting Raul Neto. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, no one has any idea what to expect from him. Yeah. I I guess they have Marcelino Huerta, so maybe they do know the yeah, Lakers true. too. But anyway... Let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking about the other position in the Utah Jazz's backcourt, the Alec Burks versus Rodney Hood battle. Um, Who's going to be starting at the shooting guard position? We'll be talking about that next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN
0: 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700.
1: Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. As always, if you'd like to chime in on anything that we talk about today, uh, feel free to tweet us at andy b larson or at ben underscore dowsett um or you can always call in 877 700 my roommate actually threatened to call in and, and yell at me for the some <laughs> at some point in the show i hope that doesn't occur what did you do i oh, i i didn't do anything he just has wild opinions on the utah and really every subject okay he's yeah anyway uh <laughs> let's play your interview though with alec burks you had an exclusive one-on-one with alec burks today for a few minutes Talking about the injury, his rotary recovery, and the kind of assimilation back into the Utah Jazz lineup, let's hear what Alec has to say.
2: Start off with the the recovery process of your injury. What was the, the what was different from your expectations that you went into
6: thinking that process was going to be?
5: Uh, just the stages I had to take. You know? First stage was just getting out the sling. That took a long time. Then uh, raising my arm, to my motion back. That took a long
6: time. Then shooting. Just, this is a process. This is a long long process than my thought, but you know, I got through it, so I'm good. Man. Was there any parts that took longer than they had originally expected it to take? Uh,
5: I think the, the con- getting the contact part took longer because they wanted to make
6: sure I was fully 100% and had all
5: my motion back like before I started taking contact. So I think that, that was a smart thing on their part.
2: And you told us at media day it
6: had been bothering you yeah. on and off since college, but yeah. then you tweaked it specifically in the preseason before yeah. last year. The last preseason, yeah, I heard uh, just in the drill. you, you battled me with, for the rest of the games I played. You think that pretty heavily affected those games you were playing there, especially your ability
2: to kind of penetrate, finish at the It did,
5: because I, I was playing with one arm. It was my right arm, given that, but was, I only
6: had one arm You're to right. work with, but, you know, I tried to do the best I could do to help my team. Definitely. And then as far as, as kind of getting back into the swing of things, oh, you, the, when you had your injury, the whole team was still kind of learning everything with yeah, Coach yeah. Snyder. How was it different than trying to learn some of that same stuff without being on the court? Did you find that to be a harder process? Nah, because I was around the coaches a lot more because I was I was sitting watching games. so I was around the coaches all the time, you know, just learning things from them. You know, just basically assistant, basically grad assistant, as you could say. Just learning th- different things, you know, to help me when I get back on the court. What kind of stuff did they emphasize to you during that, both team-wide and, like, f- for yourself once you got back? Just the concepts, of both offense and defensively, you know, was they made a big league defensively, and they just showed me all the concept, you
2: know, basically on paper because I wasn't on the floor, so it helped me out a lot. Definitely. Uh, as far as work over the summer, you said that you were only cleared for full physical participation like a couple of weeks ago.
6: Yeah. Were you able to get work in with the team earlier in the summer on like a, on a limited basis? Yeah, I mean, I could work out. I just couldn't take contact. You know, so oh, okay. I could, so do was- I could do drills, you know, shooting, all that. I just couldn't play, you know, a lot of action. So I was out here working out, you know. You know, make sure they can see my shoulder, see how it's progressing. Do you think that the physical side of things is the tougher part of getting
2: back associated with, with the team or is it more the mental side of things because there's been a lot of new schemes and systems that's come into play since you've been hurt? Uh, I
5: think I think mentally. Just believing in my shoulder. You know, when I believe in my shoulder and you know, when I feel like I can take contact and then the it, physical things don't take care of itself. But mentally, just, learning concepts again, you know, everything else, and I feel like I'm doing really better.
2: It's been been a, uh, not that you guys view it this way as like a, a winning or losing type of thing, but is it a healthy
6: competition with Rodney that you both know you, you're going to be playing some of the same minutes at the same position? I don't, I, don't, I never see where the competition is at. We both trying to make a team better. You know, We just going to both get better. I don't know who says it's a competition. We both just trying to get better, like, just like Elijah and Gordon and everybody else is trying to get better. You know, we just want to be better for our team. If you had to emphasize one or two areas that you think you need to improve or that the coaches have really identified, for you to improve what would those be uh just
5: slowing down and you know, i'm usually going at one pace and then faster faster that's that's what i've been used to they just want me to go from slow to fast you know
6: and just uh defensive concepts you know, off, off the ball because they didn't know i'm a great on the ball off the ball you know learning more, more technique anything in particular there, or is it more just kind of the general general awareness general uh, uh, uh screen navigation things like that i just always be ready just because you know, I'm an offensive. If you're not ready, I'm going to take advantage of that. So basically, do the same thing on defense.
2: Same thing be you know, ready. Cool. Um, I think just generally, has there been one part that you'd identify as the hardest thing for you about having to be on the sidelines, having to be out, not get to play the game you love, anything in particular? Yeah, just, the, just missing the
5: game. You know, When something's taken from you that you've been doing for a long time, you know, it makes you, you know, value it more when you get it back. So I think just the, just the love of the game, you know, that's, why I, that's why I got back from it.
1: All right, good work on that interview, by the way. What was the biggest thing you you took away?
2: Actually, it was the way that he answered my question about it being uh, about the competition between he and Rodney. He he seemed like legitimately offended that I, that I made it or that anyone is making it into a competition, and I loved hearing that because it he, he really is, and what he said to answer it was this isn't about one of us winning over the other. It's about us us trying to develop and get better within ourselves and each of us getting better and contributing to the team. And that's just that's what you want to hear. You want to you don't want to hear these guys. You know, I want to prove myself. You want to hear we want to prove ourselves and we want to get better. And each of us does that individually. But it's but the benefit comes to the team.
1: I thought Quinn Snyder said something interesting about that today, which is that not everyone, uh, nobody on the team is thinking about it at night when they go to bed. Yeah. Whether or not they're going to be starting, they may think about it during the afternoon. He said, <laughs> like during the day, like I do, because they're trying to figure out the best, you know, matchup and rotation and unit of players to play together. But they're not thing thats not the biggest thing in their lives. They're—they're they're trying to figure out how they can become better basketball players within this team concept.
2: Yeah, and by the way, as we mentioned earlier, piece coming from me earlier next week on Alec getting reintegrated into the lineup, all that sort of stuff. Uh, some of the quotes from that interview will be in there.
1: What kind? Where can we find this piece? That will
2: be found on SaltCityHoops.com on Tuesday, <laughs> I believe.
1: <laughs> cool. Um, ESPN Drew Hoop for the Utah Jazz. Yes, throwing you in that, the plug. Salt City. This is the Salt City Hoop Show. In case you didn't know that, yeah, it is true. Um, and then I feel like on the other side of this coin is Rodney Hood, who we haven't really talked yet beyond Media Day, who you know we saw at the end of last year do so well and is now finally healthy to maybe, hopefully play somewhere near an 82-game stretch.
2: Yeah, and we heard, I believe it was first day of training camp, we had Quinn Snyder said directly, we're, there's going to be lots of times where both of them play together. And that's, I, I think that's, we've talked a little bit about the the no-point guard lineups that some folks had potentially wanted to see. I don't know if those are going to actually end up being viable down the road or not. But I think, the, the again, I think it's just a, the idea is that they're not we as the media or as fans or as anybody, we tend to get hung up a little bit too much, I feel, on on traditional roles, so to speak, and what traditional role is this guy going to occupy versus the one that this guy's going to occupy, and on down the line. And really, I don't know that the Jazz are thinking about it that way, either the players or the coaches. I mean, I know for a fact the coaches aren't thinking about it because the coaches are only trying to figure out what's most important for their team. But the players themselves, they're... I think the Jazz have fostered a culture here where it's really not, and I, I do not think this is this is symbolic of every franchise in the league. I think you see teams where there's a lot more selfishness and there's a lot more I'm going to get mine, and th- I you know that if it helps the team, good, but I'm going to get mine first. And I, I think the Jazz have done a pretty darn good job of suppressing that to a certain point.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree, and that's that's exciting to see, right? And and it's. Was- again, uncommon amongst other NBA teams, right, yeah. where you, you definitely have this battle for starters. And there's this, you know, everyone wants to say that they're part of a team, but you go and talk to people on the inside of these other organizations, and you you don't see it from top to bottom, except in, like, five cases, I would say. Yeah. And the Spurs.
2: Uh, Memphis has done a really good job with it.
1: Memphis has. I would say Oklahoma City has. yeah. Um, yeah. For example, with the perk starting thing, I mm-hmm. think everyone was was kind of on board with that uh notably notable exception there Reggie Jackson yeah but and that's um,
2: maybe that's why they traded him
1: yeah no that's fair uh I, I thought Quinn Snyder had this interesting quote from practice today about starting he actually this is the most I've ever heard Quinn Snyder sound like Jerry Sloan let's play this quote
4: I know it's an important thing you know to have your name called and to walk out and have the lights and the smoke and everything but there's plenty of lights at the end of the game too
2: isn't that perfect that guy, like, when he's done coaching, he needs to just like give motivational speeches and stuff, or, or something. That maybe that's not exactly right, but it, seriously, I I can just listen to that guy talk all day.
1: We like Quinn Snyder. Yeah, he's I,
2: really good at talking.
1: I do worry if it like gets in the way of our objective analysis of him because he does he is so much more interesting than say his predecessor Ty Corbin, yeah. um, and is just so much more willing to share things. But
2: helps that he's also just done a better job so far objectively. Yeah. Yeah. So it's easier to be. Has one on. more games is, yeah.
1: is yes, agreed. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's an interesting question. Tony Jones asked today at practice who the starting what the starting lineup would be for for Sunday, and of course Quinn didn't say. He did say that. Jordan Hayward, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert would start. I was shocked we still- personally. <laughs> we still haven't heard about the other two positions. I think we'll be waiting until Saturday afternoon at about six in order to find out.
2: I, w- I wanted to finish this segment up with an on-the-spot thing for both of us. Who do you think starts the season at uh, at the two spot? Now that we already did, who starts the season at point guard?
1: Uh, I think Alec Burks.
2: I think so too. But and okay, and more importantly, do you think each of them starts more than say? But injuries aside, when both are healthy, do you think each of the two starts at least ten games apiece?
1: Yeah, I do. I I, I would agree also. I think so because again I, I think Rodney Hood might be a better fit. I, it's so hard to tell because actually they had pretty similar shooting percentages last year once you once you average it all out. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we like to say Rodney Hood is a is a better shooter than Alec Burks. I'm not actually sure that's the case. The biggest thing to me that that rests on is how well Alec Burks' new shooting form does mm-hmm. that he's had to relearn due to the torn labrum.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. And, I, yeah, I think we're going to probably end up seeing I, – I don't, I don't think Snyder – that's another thing that I don't think Quinn feels beholden to, like, oh, well, I started with these guys, so now I can't go away from them because I'll look bad. Or even – I started with this guy went to the other guy now I feel like going back to the first guy. I don't think he would care at all about how he might look or be perceived. Kind of flip-flopping there. If he thinks it's the better fit, he's just going to do it.
1: And again, to the player's credit, it doesn't seem like they care much either yeah. whereas, you know, other NBA players would. Yeah. Ennis Canter would. Probably. Ennis cantor demanded a trade because of it.
2: Seems like he might care about that sort of thing. Yeah.
1: Anyway, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we've got more quotes, plus the Elijah Millsap thing Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of a kerfuffle earlier today about what his role is going to be on the team in the regular season during the 2015-16 season. Upcoming for the Utah Jazz, first preseason game, Sunday, 7 p.m. I'm excited for it. You're listening to the Salt City Hoop show on ESPN
0: 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700.
1: Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. Ben Dowsett, associate editor, joins me, as always, host of the show. A uh, couple other things that we wanted to talk about, kind of storylines from today's practice. First off was kind of this minor drama, and, and I think it's worth talking about, mm-hmm. um, uh, regarding Elijah Millsap. And in his uh, Utah Jazz player profiles, ESPN.com's Kevin Pelton, who, by the way, is very good and is a great guy and is, is a fantastic writer, does his research, knows a lot about the team, um, and really I think all 30 teams I, yeah. I trust his opinion on. Uh, he said this about uh, Elijah Millsap that I thought th- that raised eyebrows. Uh, he said, quote-unquote, oh, sorry, I'm on the wrong, on the wrong page here. Uh, nonetheless, Millsap lost the trust of the Utah coaching staff and appears a long shot to make the roster this season. Yeah, um, that was really surprising in, in between talking about how great his defense was, to say that you know he's got the ability to make an all-defensive team, but part of the issue was offense, he isn't a good outside shooter for a wing. That being said, uh, that he is both, has both lost the trust of the coaching staff would be a surprise, and that he would be a long shot to make the roster this season would be a big surprise, given what we've heard from Dennis Lindsey and Quinn Snyder about Elijah Millsap throughout this summer.
2: They've yeah they've really gone all but saying we're you now the the reason I think that it's a concern a minor concern is that Elijah's contract is not guaranteed right and that they could cut him and not risk any money if they wanted to absolutely but they've come essentially just short of saying in my opinion again a little reading between the lines but I don't think it's it's going too egregiously there that they that. Elijah Millsap is is going to be a roster member for this team and that they value what he does. And I think, frankly, that lines up with what they should think about him. He's a, a, the type of guy who could be really valuable in, in certain situations. It was very surprising to hear that. And then today, uh, it, I believe it was you, correct, who asked yeah. Quinn Snyder to kind of confirm or disconfirm. He did the latter in a very emphatic way, you might say.
1: Yeah, he said, totally false. Elijah's played really well. I talked to Elijah like once a week all summer, quote-unquote. Um, and, and then said for another minute how positive Elijah Millsap had played so far uh, coming into training camp. Really talking about his improved decision making on the ball, making the right pass out of the corner and, and out of uh, out of the wing slot. Like these are all things that you would expect someone who's staying on the team to, to for you to hear about someone who's staying on the team. Usually with these cut guys, you you kind of hear. Um, general positives like he's working hard out there yeah he's been uh, you know a good uh, opponent for our or for our offense or whatever the case might be um he's saying very specific things about elijah Millsap, and furthermore dennis Lindsay is maybe more positive about elijah Millsap than uh, maybe anyone i've heard about him him talk about on the air thus far this is a, an old quote from july but you know we don't have any more information than we did in july i don't think uh Elijah's, Mil, Elijah Millsap's unique defensibility is to blow up screens, and as Coach Jerry Sloan said, we were, we, we've talked a lot about Elijah relative to some other defensive wings, and Coach Sloan appro- appropriately said this. It was really well stated. He said, look, there's guys that are defenders, and there's guys that scare people when they're defending, and that list is much smaller and includes Elijah Millsap. That's not someone you give away by cutting him, right?
2: No, I definitely don't think so.
1: And then furthermore, he states the defensive improvement that the Jazz have when he's on the floor. So Elijah's an exceptional defender, and this is Dennis Lindsay again, but there's also a force and a power and an energy and a mindset where you put him out there and say, sick him. And he does. We were, you know, per 100 possessions, when Elijah's out there, we were plus five. The returns were good. The defensive returns were surprising, and we need to know more going forward. We need to know more. It's not that we're going to cut him and see what happens. It's, it's. We need to mo- know more going forward. I just would be shocked if Elijah Millsap is not on this roster come, come November.
2: Yeah, at this point, I think it would be very surprising. And and the other thing that I w- took away from Quinn's response today, today, excuse me. I think that's the most irked I've maybe seen him by any question that I've seen asked to him. I'm the, sorry I had thus far. to ask it, No, I mean, and not, not due to the fault of the person asking it, but because he had not read uh, Kevin's article. And that really, I think, just took him aback that that was being floated around when I think in his mind that was just the furthest thing from the case. He seemed... A little bit legitimately perturbed to hear something
1: like that. Yeah, I mean, after the interview is over, it was, and this was the very first question we asked. We talked for twelve minutes today, uh, and then after the the media session was over, he kind of leaves and, and turns back to us and says, "Who was it again? Who said that?" Yeah, and and we say Kevin Pelton, and he kind of asks, "Who who's Kevin Pelton?" Which is a classic Twitter phrase, anyway. But um, we, we and also I
2: think is a little bit of possum from Quinn. He knows who Kevin Pelton is. Do you think? Uh, I'm I mean, pretty sure he okay. does.
1: He, he he was serious, but. Uh, I Yeah, and then David Locke kind of explained who he was. But I, I yeah, I mean, I'm surprised. Um, uh, Kevin knows, uh, is a good enough guy and is a good enough writer and is, is informed enough that I feel like he must know something, either from his sources from within the Jazz, and he probably does know one of the coaches or training or stats guys or front office people, whatever. And he either misheard something or read into – uh something that he heard from somebody in the jazz organization. I mean, I, to me that's the only possible way that this could have happened because I guess maybe I'm giving too much faith to Kevin Pel- Pelton here.
2: Uh maybe, but the the other thing about Kevin is that he, it's honestly pretty rare for him to use too much of that sort of source type material yeah, in his writing yeah. because he's he's much more of a of a of a, a, a projections a stats type of guy and those sorts of things. When he says something like a source told me or or people have said so on and so forth, it's almost always right.
1: And he didn't say that to be fair, but no. he didn't say None of those two things he said were backed up by any statistical evidence, right? Yeah. I mean, they they didn't go out of favor with Elijah Millsap. He played 25 minutes in the final game of the season. Yeah. The coaches were still re- clearly relying on him. And, again, it doesn't seem like uh, he's unlikely to make the, the the team based on what we've heard so far. So that's what tells me that this has to have come from somewhere. Now, we know about false reports from the Jazz. You know, we, We've they had come a couple out. this season with, mm-hmm. say, the Jazz wanting to trade Derek Favors. Mills, you know, and our, the Paul Millsap and the, our, Yeah, wanting to trade Derek Favors, wanting to sign Paul Millsap. It was kind of ludicrous on his face, but I think someone in the organization floated that to Jody Genesee, and, and he reported it as, as he heard it, uh, as his, his job. Uh, ditto with, say, the John Boylan rumors of, of before Quinn Snyder. Was, Jim. Sorry, Jim Boylan. Thank you. Um, you know we've heard these sort of rumors floated by someone before it's not clear how this happens through the grapevine but i just can't imagine this being an accurate report and the
2: jazz are notoriously tight as an organization which right. is another thing that makes it surprising
1: completely agreed all right that's that's the elijah Millsap rant we yeah. got to go ahead and take a break on the other side we're going to be talking more about gordon hayward in, in practice today about the new jazz man tibor pleiss and some stuff from derek favors you're listening to the Salt city hoop show on espn 700
0: You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
1: All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops, Ben Dowson, as always, on the other side of the table. Uh, Again, talking about the the first week of Jazz training camp, uh, media day was Monday. We had day three of training camp today. Uh, we just got word from the Utah Jazz that they will not be practicing tomorrow before they leave to uh, Hawaii. So they were planning on practicing and then flying out in the afternoon to arrive in, in Hawaii Friday night. They will instead now not practice tomorrow, which means that, well, we've seen the last of them that we, we will see until they come back, I believe, Wednesday uh, after after their game Tuesday. Uh, the two first preseason games for the Utah Jazz are against the Los Angeles Lakers. The one on Sunday, October 4th, is at 7 p.m. The one on Tuesday is at 10 p.m. Uh, That's mountain time, right? Yes, 10 p.m. mountain time, so midnight Eastern. Uh, for all of you guys who like watching 2.30 Eastern basketball, uh, you have your opportunity. Have fun with that. The game Sunday, by the way, will be on NBA TV, um, so there may be a little bit of a national audience for this Lakers-Jazz showdown. Uh... I mean, not a lot. It's NBA TV, let's be honest. But. <laughs> Some. Um, I-, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Tibor Plyce, first of all, because I think he's been impressive from what I hear. A- and then the Jazz's two leaders in Derek Favors and Gordon Hayward. Uh, let's start with the Tibor Plyce quote, though, if we can. Uh, hearing, first of all, if it- about his shooting ability.
5: Uh, it's made me really proud to play with Dirk because maybe it was one of his last times that he played for the for the national team. So it was maybe one of his last moments, yeah, where he played for the, for the German team, for for Germany. And uh, yeah, I'm, I have a good uh, have a good touch. I think that was showed sometimes in the past, but I never really had the situation that somebody uh, gave him a chance to shoot because the the coaches have me always under the basket. But I know that I have the skills that I can shoot from outside. I did it already in the past. For example, in Bamberg, where I played sometimes on position four, and I was shooting from outside. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I hope, where I, that I can, yeah, come back on the, on the court and show that I can shoot.
2: First of all, uh, I looked up that place that he said in there, Bamberg. Bamberg? I couldn't find that, like, anywhere. For as far as the stats, maybe I'm just stupid and was looking at the wrong spelling. Of yeah, something like,
1: I mean Bamberg, B A M B U R G. I thought
2: he said Benberg, but it could have been Bamberg. Well, one or... of
1: those is a team. One of those is a city in Germany, right? So like Bamberg would make sense. Right.
2: Yes, it would. I also momentarily Didn't forgot you're... German geography, which normally I keep <laughs> so in my mad head at you. All times. Come on. Yeah.
1: No, I, I have an advantage in world geography because I have a map. I have a world map on a on my shower curtain at home. So okay. like every day. I get my my fifteen minutes of world geography and can tell you all about the location of say Yekaterinburg, Russia versus <laughs> I don't know uh, Astana, Kazakhstan. And nice. Yeah. It's anyway. So my knowledge of German geography is insane. Yeah. Clearly, but it's not. But
2: anyway, regardless. I <laughs> this has been place has been consistent with this, um, and so have the jazz that. And I, I was interested to hear him say, kind of specifically, not that it's. Throwing anybody under the bus, but to very specifically say, my coaches told me not to shoot threes previously in my career, and i I, I think that's a I think that's a pretty notable deal, don't you?
1: Yeah, no, I, I again, it's not throwing him out under the bus; it's just a recognition of what those coaches would rather have him do. Uh, I, I think we've heard that from Tibor before. That have we they, specifically? I. I, I Think so? Uh, maybe I was just hearing from Dennis Lindsay saying the same thing, right? Um, but yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. The coaches have told him, "Hey, you know, you're going to be our low post guy. You're the seven three dude. You're not, you know, you're not Dirk, especially on a team with like Barcelona that does have that uh, outside shooting presence that they do.
2: Yeah, although they don't have it as much from the bigs, which that's is why true. it was a little surprising to me that they wouldn't look for it a little bit more. But yeah, overall. Um, I'm really excited to see what Tibor can do. We saw just like a half second of him shooting some threes today. And in, in, uh, I don't know if you saw it. It was while Gordon was talking uh, during, media, or during media availability today. No, I did see it, actually. Tibor was out on the How far do do? basket. Uh, I really, because I was in the middle of my Burks interview that we just played. He, I only saw literally like two shots. But, I mean, the it looks like what we saw uh, in the offseason as far as the tape of his form. His form looks legitimate. It's very slow. And we, we noted that. Uh, I noted in a piece I wrote about him. He's... His it takes him a million years to load up and shoot, but that's really that's okay because if you're if if we're really worried about how long it's going to take a guy to get out to him, that still means that's a seven footer who has to come out to the three point line and guard him. Yeah. and if they're trying to guard him at all, like to the point where it matters how fast his release is, that means he's doing well enough to drag a guy away from the paint, and that's important for the Jazz.
1: I mean, if he's at seven three, is a shot ever getting blocked?
2: Probably not. That's the other thing. Yeah, it'd have to be, you know, it'd have to be an Anthony Davis type or a Rudy Gobert, who he's luckily not going to be playing against.
1: I just looked up his Bamberg stats, by the way, and he shot, I think, a grand total of 10 three-point attempts um, and made four of them. So,
2: 40% three-point shooter! In
1: uh, 32 total games.
2: Okay, so it, maybe he was exaggerating slightly. As that far being as how said, much, maybe they let him... he
1: took more long twos. You know, that's right. that those stats are harder to find. Of, and maybe they league. just had
2: him loaded up in practice all the time, and he—that's where he kind of learned that he. Maybe that's how he was referring to it, is that's when he discovered that he could really be a shooter.
1: He hasn't though made a three in serious NBA com- uh, in competition since. Uh, maybe he made one or two in Vittoria. I take that back. But regardless, not a ton. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how all well this works out. I mean. I think Tibor has enough skills that he can still—he could probably still get minutes even if he's not a three-point shooter. Do you agree with that?
2: I do, but he, he, in my opinion, legitimately goes from being like a fringe rotation, clear fourth big, who even a Trey Lyles might be able to compete with for playing time if he can't shoot at all, to— if he can, and especially, again, it's a topic I keep bringing up, but it's the idea of, of your perception as a shooter, if he starts the year off by canning a few early on and shows teams right away, I can put the ball in the hoop from three, I think that the 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 amount that that, change, that one thing changes his value, I think is huge. I think he can be, at that point, can really become a viable, close to 20 minute a game type of guy with the other skills he's got, because that's... That's something that's a, not only a valuable skill in the NBA. It's a valuable skill for this particular team. It's something they're in dire need of: is spacing, and especially if you can get it from one of the big positions, it's hugely valuable.
1: Yeah, Gordon Hayward said that same thing too. Where if if you get if you have someone who's seven two seven three, and you can play basically with him and Rudy Gobert, kind of platoon the two, so they're they're not on the court on the same time, but at all times you have someone with length, uh, at, uh, you know. Tibor Place is not the shot blocker Rudy Gobert is. Not even close. Uh, You might even say he's a below average shot blocker. I would, actually. Um, But. That sort of length and and size is is huge, according to Hayward,
2: and if you're of course, if that length and size comes with, you know, he's certainly not going to be the force defensively that Rudy is, but on the other end, he's probably an upgrade on Rudy if he if he can shoot, we're saying yeah. he might be an up can't really shoot from that range if he can he's of absolutely yeah just offensively, he's absolutely an upgrade offensively if he can shoot those, and I again, I think people. People might get tired of me harping on the same theme over and over again, but there's a reason why it's such a huge deal in the NBA. There's a reason why Steph Curry won the MVP last year, is that the ability to stretch defenses with your shooting is just the biggest thing there is today.
1: It's amazing how much we'll learn Sunday.
2: It really is. Straight up, right? Like
1: We've never seen Raul Neto play in in NBA, a really NBA competition. The closest we've seen it is kind of in these Olympics kind of events, warm-up events. Uh, and, and Tibor Place, we saw him play in FIBA in, the, in this Eurobasket tournament, but again, and for FC Barcelona. But again, it, it's a, such a different style from the NBA. Yeah. Um, again, very excited for Sunday in actual
2: basketball. It's going to be s- super awesome.
1: Let's talk about Derek Favors next. Uh, Derek, from all, from all perspectives that we've talked to thus far, ha- has played really well thus far in training mm-hmm. camp uh quinn talked about him being a a force and an aggressive uh player who, who showed off impressive post moves in day two of practice um moves that snyder hadn't seen before and i don't think the rest of the jazz had seen before clearly new ones he had learned over the summer i'm interested to see which out.
2: ones those are that he's referring to uh, yeah
1: i i am too and and hopefully he, he shows them off in the first couple of games here uh i also like uh that what he said about Derek favors, not so much of a stretch for, but as a playmaking for John, do we have that quote? Let's play
4: it. I like the idea of him being able to be more, more, uh, better playmaking for, uh, where his ball skills are better. his passing his ball handling. And what that means is he's probably going to be more aggressive offensively out of the floor.
2: Uh, Small little plug for me here. I included that exact quote in a Basketball Insiders piece that came out today, actually, on the sort of the big, small conundrum. It's not really a conundrum, but I use that word because it's fun, that, mm-hmm. that Jazz have. The the whole issue of the fact that teams are definitely going to try and downsize on them, given their big identity, and how they're going to be able to, A, respond to that, and B, how they're going to be able to kind of uh, to have their own little bits of that that are going to be successful. Quinn Snyder, I think, thinks that the crux of that to a certain point is going to be Derek Favors because he has the ability to in approximate some of the not maybe not the three-point shooting. In fact, Quinn and Derek have both been pretty clear that he's not going to be a consistent three-point shooter this year. Like yeah. that's not going to be happening. But that he has some of those other skills that can approximate those same things and that he can defend those sort of guys that are going to be trying to do that to the Jazz.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's a big thing. And, and Tim being, a, uh, again, a playmaking for someone who makes plays on the offensive end, you looked in a piece uh, about how the Jazz's bigs uh, facilitate overall. Mm-hmm. You found Trevor Booker was the best facilitator, and then Derek Favors was second, Was was he not?
2: I believe so, yeah. I think actually Favors and Gobert had basically the exact same numbers as far as assist chances per 48 minutes.
1: Okay, and Enes Kanter was last, right? By
2: a lot. By, like, an amount that almost makes you go, like, it's actually physically difficult to be that much further below these guys because some of, when you're a big, some of your assists are incisive, great passes. Some of them are just standard things where it's, like, Two smaller guys are standing next to you. You pass it to the wide-open guy, and right. he dunks it.
1: But I think we saw a lot of that when Enes Kanter was on the team, that he would make those into shot attempts for himself.
2: Exactly. Like, he, the fact that even those easier attempts be, were difficult for him at a certain point displays how inept he is as a passer.
1: Um, and I'm I'm curious to see if, if, if his ball handling and his passing has uh, really improved as much as... as Quinn says it has. Mm-hmm. How that changes the Jazz's offense? No question. Because I'm... that's that's the question is whether or not you can generate spacing with these two kind of traditional bigs in the same way that you can with the the stretch four, uh, and, and it, maybe you can generate spacing not by having Derek Favors play out there on the perimeter, but by kind of like triangle esque passing, almost like the Lakers of the of the late knots, if you will, the the Lamar Odom. Andrew Bynum, Pau Gasol, Lakers, which used a lot of interior passing in order to create easy shots for those big men.
2: Definitely, yeah. I think honestly, I I don't think that Derek would ever need to actually develop a three point shot to be that kind of guy that we're talking about. Do you?
1: That I mean,
2: it would be great. If he did
1: so. no. I I if he can, I mean, if he can make shots like a like a David West, I I think that's enough. Like a Lamarcus Aldridge, I think that's enough. Although Lamarcus made more threes this year.
2: How many did he actually end up making?
1: I don't know. I'll look it up.
2: While you're looking that up, we did have a, a tweet really quickly from yeah. Sporadic Regularity, who always helps us out on the show, by the way. Thank you. He sometimes clarifies a thing or two for us. In 2011-2012, Tibor Pleiss did shoot 42% from three. Uh, that's a But that, like you said, it's only about 30 attempts. So, not enough to really judge a sample size there. Okay. But, I mean, shoot, it's better than starting off shooting 25% on those same number of attempts. Like, it starts your baseline off better than shooting badly. So
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, back to La- on Lamarcus Aldridge, he was 37 out of 105 last year. Um, oh, so he actually 35%. took 105 threes. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't aware. I
2: didn't realize he took that many. That's
1: more than, say, Trevor Booker did, although obviously many more minutes for Lamarcus.
2: Yeah, I actually didn't realize he took that many.
1: Uh, that's, uh, I mean, this is a. Now a big sidebar, but uh, that's why I'm less concerned about Lamarcus fitting in San Antonio's offense than a lot of people are. Is because if he can make those threes, then I that gives them a, a amazing weapon. Right? I'm less
2: concerned like, about him fitting in with the offense than I am on the other side. Yeah, why? Um, there's some stuff with his rim protection. Some stuff that our buddy Seth Partnow has done some research as far as he's he basically saw no difference defending the rim as a as a center versus defending it as a power forward last season. His whether or not he says he wants to play center, he's going to have to play some center for the Spurs this year and most guys saw a significant increase in their abilities at the protecting the rim when they shifted up to center. It was uh it's kind of a complex language that Seth was doing it in, but the fact that he saw no difference effectively meant that he really wasn't being a quote-unquote center when he was supposed to be. He wasn't challenging the the number of shots and doing so effectively enough when he was the center. Because once you shift up to center, you're the guy there. Like that's you're the last line of defense against that.
1: The idea is that centers are contesting more shots at the rim than their power forward equivalents.
2: Right, and doing better at it because they're you know they're the guy when a guard gets through down the lane, it's the center who comes over most of more of the time at least to try and block that shot, giving help. You know what I mean?
1: See, and I guess I wasn't how I interpreted that. Maybe I missed the part where. Power forwards moving the center have a have a jump in the the uh, success rate. I guess I just saw it as centers do a better job of blocking shots than power forwards do.
2: I, I think it is basically that. I, sh- I may have been remiss in saying success rate, where I really meant the 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 metric that Seth eventually comes up with is points saved. Right, and they have a higher points saved because they're contesting more shots. Yeah. They they may be doing it at around the same same effectiveness, but they're contesting more of them because they have to because that's their responsibility when they become a center.
1: Right, and I guess I, I'm not that concerned about Lamarcus Aldridge's rim protection ability. I, I really period. I mean, I, I know that it's it's not good, but in terms of how it fits into the Spurs, you still have Tim Duncan.
2: Speaking with uh, those metrics, by the way, Derek Favors, the with the most recent addition that Seth did where he separated by position, using Derek Favors as a four, which is what he's going to play more of this year, he was the top five rim protector in the league, so the Jazz had two of them. They had, ah. fir- they had first and fifth overall as far as points saved compared to the average player at their position.
1: It is so nice to have Rudy Gobert, as a side note. It like, is. Like, that Rudy Gobert is on the Utah Jazz. It's a good thing. Is is neat. It's not even just, like, a good thing. It's, it's kind of mind-blowing that uh, the Jazz have this good of a defensive player. Maybe, like, in, in my entire Jazz fandom, and we, we talked about this during Rudy's emergence, I don't think there's ever been a defensive player on the Jazz that's been as good as Rudy Gobert. I mean, I was uh, – Mark Keaton is the only one that you can argue – and
2: he couldn't move like Rudy.
1: Yeah, and again, I think Rudy Gobert is is better.
2: In related news, turned twenty three years old under three months ago. Nice. We uh, still got some Gordon Hayward stuff yes, here, right?
1: Let's, sorry, let's talk about Gordon Hayward. Uh, I, that's it on Derek Favors. Do you have any more to say? No, I think okay. that's, we think we covered it. Cool. So Gordon Hayward, we we got a chance to talk to him today at, at uh, again training camp. First of all, we had a lot to talk about regarding his opinion of Colin Coward and, and <laughs> gamers. Let's, let's get into that for just a second. Yeah. Uh, so Colin Coward said some things about how gamers are, quote-unquote, burger eaters. Uh, that, that's a real quote. And nerds and geeks Good one, and Colin. they're all... Yeah, awesome. Um, then Gordon Hayward burns him back. It was That's actually right. a
2: pretty legitimate Twitter burn.
1: Yes. Um, having this great picture of, of a very nerdy Colin Coward on at Gordon Hayward. Um, so then Gordon Hayward went on Colin Coward's show today basically to be like, dude. Your stereotypes are wrong, and and Colin never really like gave it up. He was like, but at the same
2: time, he basically didn't even defend himself. No. He, like the first line it he was said so was, "I'm probably stereotyping here." It's like, yeah, you definitely are. So
1: don't stereotype <laughs> people. Yeah. It's easy to stop.
2: Yeah, it really is. I've listen. I like Cowherd as far as like I do actually think if you take the full radio sphere and you look at, uh, of especially the huge names that are really up there, and you talk about how informed each of them is, I do think he's actually on the higher end of the spectrum as far as the research he does and in being informed. Okay. That said, the, the he says more ridiculous things than most guys that informed should ever say, and takes these ridiculous positions that it's like, dude, I can break that position down in 30 seconds, and then he just won't ever, he'll basically agree that he's wrong, but won't. But won't like actually. Like the John uh, Wall thing. Yeah. Like,
1: like uh, just admit that you're wrong, or better yet, don't be a jerk in the first place. Yeah,
2: he's and specifically with regard to this, it's like, man, what do you know about these people? Like, what's where does where does he effectively get the right to judge those sorts of people? Does he not have a single habit that somebody else might find nerdy or dorky or right. weird or whatever? Like, or a thing he likes doing that maybe certain uh, other people don't like. We're just getting back into the whole, like, somebody else likes to do something and you don't like to do it, but it doesn't hurt you. Like, yeah, why do exactly. you care?
1: Yeah, why Why are you being a jerk about other people's passions? So, like, yeah, New Year's resolution for us is let's not ever be jerks. Like, right. let's. <laughs> right? Are we like, being,
2: are we doing that to Colin Cowherd right now? Are we making no, fun of his him enjoying to make fun of people for stupid things? No. I'm I'm getting inside my own head
1: here. No, we're not. We're saying that is a bad thing to be doing.
2: Anyway, I thought what Gordon had to say was that was measured and was obviously correct.
1: I wish he would have been less measured. I wish he were like torn into Colin.
2: That would have been nice.
1: Anyway. He's uh, a jerk,
2: and I hate him. (laughs) That, basically.
1: Let's talk about basketball, though. Uh, Tony Jones had an interesting question of Gordon Hayward today. Basically, do you think that you're one of the top small forwards in the league? You know, the people are naming him around the top seven, top eight small forwards in the league. Let's hear how Gordon Hayward responded to that.
6: Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, I don't look at myself like that. I look at myself as one of the best in the league, uh, period. So I think putting the work, putting the preparation, it's about us being successful as a team. Now, my team get wins. I think that's why you look at the top guys at each position, and they all help their team win more than anything
2: had to hold—I've honestly, like, I'm continuing to hold myself back from making some kind of ridiculous Gordon Hayward proclamation this season just based on everything we're hearing from—and from. from and you can't read too much into training camp, but everything right. we're hearing so far has been so unbelievably stellar. The, co- the coach is talking about the shape he's been in, the tone he's setting in practice. Quinn Snyder said multiple times how crisp he's looked, how forceful he's looked on the floor, how he's just completely in control of what he's doing at all times while he's on the court— I'm I'm just I'm so impressed with the guy generally and you look at it, we have we uh one of our uh friends at Salt City Hoops also a, a co-worker of ours at KSL Angie Treasure had like the most popular jazz tweet ever yesterday that showed the difference from Gordon Hayward's size when he was first coming into the league to how big he is now and he's got, I mean he's gotten jacked obviously right. and what I what I saw that as was almost more of a microcosm for what Gordon has done as a whole, and he's ta- he talked about it today about uh, the the. Didn't somebody ask him? I believe at the end of the the stuff about the the cowherd, would you have done that a few years ago? Like, would you have gone on his radio show? Would you have called him out on Twitter? And he basically said no. I, effectively, he said, "I've come into my own over yeah, these years." He said,
1: "I was a shy, skinny, nerdy kid back yeah. then." I, and as a shy, skinny, nerdy kid, like I I I'm there. I don't know if I would have confronted him in in that same sort of way. Yeah,
2: and just seeing that in general, and I think we're we're. In or around the crux point of that, or the 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 peak of that, if you will, I I just think it's really fun to see, and I think he he really could be in line for one of the best individual jazz seasons we've seen in a, in several years.
1: Yeah. Okay. So what's I guess what's the baseline there? What is the best? Uh, is it like a Darren Williams season from like seven It Would probably have
2: been one of those one of those Darren 9, seasons probably? on the on with one of the or maybe. Raw numbers wise, it might be Al Jefferson, but Jefferson—I don't think Jefferson ever had the two-way impact that favorite or that uh, that Gordon can have. Yeah,
1: you can make a case that one of the Paul Millsap years.
2: Yeah, please. you could say that. Although there was that one year when Jefferson and Millsap both were like fringe Alls—they so both almost made the All-Star team. You could maybe argue for one of them, but other than that. I, you'd be going back, I think Gordon is poised to have one of the most important seasons for the Jazz that an individual player's had in a while.
1: And life. yeah, I still don't think that it's likely, even if he plays incredibly well, that he actually becomes an All-Star.
2: That's one of the ridiculous proclamations I've been having to hold back. Because I know, like, I think that he's going to be even more deserving of it, but again, I know how ridiculously difficult it is for that to happen
1: Right, because like, Kawhi Leonard hasn't been an All-Star right. this year, and probably will deserve it more.
2: Probably. I could see worlds where that's not true. to I, be no, totally I, honest. you're
1: right. I uh, could see I could see Hayward being a better player, but Leonard will a have the better uh reputation. oh, because, he's got the
2: pedigree by far.
1: And, and honestly, the defensive end, I think he's a game changer, the defensive player of yeah. the year. Oh yeah. Hayward's not a game changer on the defensive end. No, he's not I mean, although he's good, yeah, he's, he's not a game changer.
2: You, I think you could definitely say the gap between Kawhi's defense and Gordon's defense is greater than the gap between Gordon's offense and Kawhi's.
1: That's what I would say. Yeah. and so I, and given that, and plus that, say Kevin Durant's coming back, Kobe Bryant's almost a shoe in to get voted in. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, you know, there are a lot. There's a lot of competition for that spot.
2: Yeah, but that's whether or not he makes an arbitrary threshold that may or may not be fair based on the people voting for it. I think Gordon is is primed for really one of the great seasons we've seen recently from the jazz, and i'm just, i just I just can't be more excited for it and I just have really over last year and this year started to enjoy talking to him as much as anybody else on that team
1: yeah he i I think he is starting to say more in his interviews. all right, let's go ahead and take a break on the other side. We're gonna go around the n b a of course, how the other media days from the league were were this week we've got some new signings we've got some injuries uh to tell you about We've got some new rules around the league. Let's talk about that next segment on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700.
0: Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700.
1: Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. We're going to go around the NBA in this segment, talking about all the latest news and storylines from around the other 29 teams in the league. First half of this show is about the, the Utah Jazz. I should say the first three quarters, but anyway. Um... I was just debating by the way with Ben whether or not we should keep the LOL Lakers segment for this year. I think there's a possibility that the Lakers might be semi decent next year, and really I kind of <laughs> feel bad about laughing about at them for as long as we have.
2: John I mean, in the John in the booth was just shaking his head no as I've you ve- were,
3: I'm vetoing the decision to uh throw out LOL Lakers. We're keeping it whether you like it or not. Producer has spoken.
2: <laughs>
1: He's gonna play the the Benny Hill soundtrack no matter what we. He's talk playing about it already. whether or
2: not we want to do that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Maybe we could have LOL Seventy Sixers.
2: Nah, it's not as fun, and it doesn't That's fit. True. Doesn't fit with the the L at the end of LOL that can just true. function as a Lakers, yeah. so it's L O Lakers. Right, it's well, gonna LOL have to be LOL sixers. Lakers. It's
1: yeah, stay. I mean. It's so hard cuz the Sixers are the same every week, right? Like Sixers once again don't put out good NBA lineup
2: yeah. in these games. Well, and type, my my sort of massive hatred for the Lakers when I was a younger person is also what fuels that segment. So like in part.
1: Yeah, no, I uh, as a kid like I hate I hated the Lakers. I hate the Lakers now. And in fact, in Sports Illustrated today, they were named as the most hateable franchise in the NBA.
2: By so much. Like it's not even remotely.
1: Number close. two was the Clippers. What is it about Los Angeles?
2: The people? No, I'm sorry. I'm just no, kidding. I think you might be right. My brother lives in Los Angeles. Uh, He's real quick. A terrible person. Real quick, we got a tweet really fast. I wanted to read it from Guy Andrus says driving around and came across the Salt City Hoop Show. Had no idea it existed before. Now, great program, guys. Well, thank you and thank you for listening. And we encourage everyone to switch around their radio stations randomly, and hopefully they'll find us.
1: Yes. Tell your friends. Uh, we don't have the billboards yet, but one day my face will be on a billboard they're ending. just
2: working on getting the composites done the right way because <laughs> we do not want to look bad like if my hair looks wrong on one of those things that could be it for my career you, so
1: you gotta have the the devil beard that you had for this summer what was it what was it called it was, Am- the- it was
2: an amish looking type of That's beard right. which anyway. i love that it can be either a devil beard or be an amish beard it's <laughs> one of those two things
1: <laughs> they were very uh yeah uh, poor amish people anyway Let's go around the NBA. The first uh, piece of news that we're going to talk about, a lot of actually injuries to talk about. Um, Derek Rose got elbowed in the eye this week, uh, had a left orbital fracture. That's the, your cheekbone on your face around your eye. Uh, he is out for at least two weeks, though it sounds like he'll probably be ready. It sounds like he'll resume basketball activities after that two weeks, and it sounds like he'll be ready to start opening day.
2: Yeah, in fact, the larger injury for them is actually Mike Dunleavy with yeah. the back who's going to miss eight to ten weeks, maybe even a little bit longer. Backs are fickle, and he's some of the only spacing they've got. He
1: he is a much better player than uh, Kirk Heinrich.
2: Yes, and, by a lot.
1: Like uh, The love for Kirk Heinrich should be given to Mike Dunleavy. I just I've white guy Chicago Bull love should be given to Mike Dunleavy rather than Kirk Heinrich. I would agree. Um. Anyway,
2: speaking of white guys that once played for the Chicago Bulls, <laughs>
1: Steve Kerr, uh, unfortunately is taking a leave of absence with the Golden State Warriors for his own back issues. He had back. I didn't surgery. even know he had those. Uh, yeah, he had back surgery this off season and has uh, talked about it a little bit about how uh, that back has been has been hurting him and he hasn't been able to recover a hundred percent. Uh, in time for really the regular season to start, he wants to take this these next few weeks off. Hopefully, get ready for the for the biggest part of the regular season. But there is no timetable for his return.
2: I did see uh, from Sam Amick. Uh, I did see a report on Twitter just a little bit. I think it was just before we started the show. Actually, that while yes there there is a chance that he that, you know that he's going to take some time off and such that it wouldn't shock anybody to see him still coaching during the preseason. So. Yeah,
1: no, I, I wouldn't be surprised either. Yeah. <laughs> Someone mentioned that maybe they'll have him like coaching by iPad or something like
2: that. Yeah. Which. Um
1: I love that Luke Walton by the way is their interim head coach while Steve Kerr takes a break.
2: Wearing board shorts and sandals yeah, during the game?
1: Yeah. Like Luke Walton, uh I just want Bill around. That's yeah. the biggest thing. Yeah. Luke Walton is like a mini Bill in my mind. That's fair. Uh Tristan Thompson, this is a really interesting contract situation. It really He's is. One of the guys who uh, just ended his first contract has the guaranteed offer on the table, uh, sorry, the qualifying offer on the table that he can either take for one season or he can work out a deal with the Cavaliers to, to play for longer. The question is how long and how much money for. And, and there's some. Uh, there were some reports from Chris Broussard about a deal being done, and then he re-
2: I'm shocked that that up, didn't end that up being that, true. Uh,
1: was not true, and and anyway, uh, uh, what's your prediction for how this turns out?
2: I honestly, at this point, I don't have one. I think it's crazy that we're because we're sitting on right now. It's eight thirty-five PM, which means it's ten thirty-five PM Eastern. We have an hour and twenty-five minutes left for, unless it's already happened and we haven't heard about it, an hour and twenty-five minutes left for Tristan Thompson to sign the qualifying offer, if that's what he wants to do, which, for those who don't know, that would make, he would play this one more season that I believe about $6.5 million a year, and then he would be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this this upcoming season. He could go anywhere he wanted. I, now, here's the thing. If he doesn't sign that, right? what happens is he remains a restricted free agent, but he doesn't get the the year, effectively. Like, he doesn't, the, um... He can He can no longer sign that and become unrestricted. His ability to become unrestricted within a year goes away. That the basically it retains Cleveland's control.
1: Yeah, he, he kind of becomes a contract holdout in, the, in that case, and, and you know it's not in training camp or, or their preseason. Games. Right,
2: and this is an actual situation where, and the, the deadline for the Cavs to extend the period of the qualifying offer ended last night at midnight Eastern. So that is off the table. That can't happen, and they would have had no reason to do that in the first place.
1: Their first preseason game is Wednesday, by the way, against Atlanta.
2: I find it unlikely Not that, that he it matters, pl- I find it unlikely that he plays in that game, and uh, honestly, I think he's. I said this on I went on a podcast with Nate Duncan, our frequent guest here on his dunk On podcast, and I said we both agreed I, I think he's taking a huge risk. With what he's doing here, by not just locking this up long term, because first of all, they're still going to pay him way more than he's worth right now, and frankly, I don't think his value is ever going to get higher. Is he ever going to be coming off a postseason like the one that he just had? That's a good where point. Where every skill he has is maximized to the largest possible extent. Like they didn't win the series, but Golden State is a perfect matchup for him as far as what you want, what they do, and what you want him to try and combat it
1: with. Yeah, I mean, taking something like three fifty-five or whatever that offer would have been, I think is is. A really good outcome for him.
2: Yeah. And they're off the, I mean, I think the offer that they were willing to go with in the end was four, I think. or was it, I, I, for some reason that sounds right to me, 480 was that they, and they, he was saying that's too low. He wanted like 494 or something.
1: This is, he's a Rich Paul guy, right?
2: Yeah. And so some of it could be that. Rich Paul has some very interesting negotiating tactics that have had mixed results. And I, by the way, I could be off on those numbers that I just said. I said that actually sounds high now that I'm saying it. Yeah, but I, it, they, I,
1: that's, it strikes me as a little bit high too. But right. um, yeah, I, anyway, that's something to watch uh, for from, from the Cavs power forward. Uh, new replay center guidelines this year. Basically, Yay. now the the refs that they have in Secaucus, New Jersey, who are actually watching the video boards, can make a determination rather than the refs on the court for a number of different calls, including two point versus three point, out of bounds. Uh. Let's see, what, what else am I forgetting here? Some Whether or not a shot clock went in on time, a shot went in on time. A lot of it is basically... kind of binary
2: decisions. Yeah, I was just going to say the word binary, actually. Stuff that it's like either his foot was on the line or his foot was not on the line, and we can tell really easily by looking at a replay, and we don't need one of the three refs on the court to do that. It's just going to expedite the whole process.
1: Here's how these plays should go. It should be, hey, I'm not sure... The ref should say, hey, I'm not sure if that should be a, was a two or a three. They go to the, the center desk... They call Secaucus. Secaucus says it was a two or it was a three, and they go back. It shouldn't take any more than, like, nope. 20 seconds. If that. We saw too many uh, of these replays take two to three minutes last year. We can narrow that down. That would be great.
2: Love that they're doing it. We got another thing that I found really funny. If you okay. want to read more about this, I, there's an article on KSL.com from me today that includes this, actually. It's our From Left Field today. Uh, Mikhail Prokhorov, owner of the Brooklyn Nets, mm-hmm. known crazy person in a number of ways, <laughs> really, really emphatically He probably would. I should watch out. But he emphatically proved that he is a crazy person yesterday. He showed up at the Nets practice facility, unannounced, as far as I'm aware, and proceeded. He is the owner, so he can do whatever he wants. Showed up and gave these guys a significant period of time lesson. ...on these various ridiculous dribbling drills. One where he's like sitting on a basketball while dribbling two basketballs with his other hands. He was dribbling basketballs off the wall. He was literally just some of the weirdest stuff I've ever seen. And he had the player sitting cross-legged on the court watching him do this as if it was like an actual basketball seminar. This is one of the most awesome things I've seen from this guy, and that's saying something because he's done some crazy stuff.
1: We've heard a lot about ownership uh, getting involved with front office decisions. I don't <laughs> think I've heard of ownership getting involved with coaching in, in yeah. quite the sort of
2: way. Unbelievable. I just, it's amazing to me that he thinks like in his head. He's just like, well, I own the team, so I can just come run practice one day if I want I to, mean, right? I he can. <laughs> like, I mean, I know that he can, but is there another owner in pro sports that would actually come try and do that? And we have crazy owners all over pro sports. Is there another one that would come try and do that?
1: I mean, I I could actually see a couple. I could see, like, Dan Snyder doing that. What's that? Would Larry have done that? Maybe. I I don't think he would have tried to, like, teach the guys basketball. But he would have, like, I I could see Larry, like, trying to try out for the team. You know what I mean? Like, doing the layup (laughs) drills with everybody else.
2: Uh, real quick, we just because we have to move on. We already mentioned uh, the Mike Dunleavy, 8-10 to weeks back surgery. Uh-huh. Chandler Parsons, he had a, m- what we believe was a minor hybrid microfracture surgery. Didn't get announced for forever. We didn't hear yeah, about so it until this week.
1: We knew that the surgery happened in May, uh, and it was just called knee surgery. But we thought it was more minor than this because, I, I don't know, they chose to report the minor part of it rather than the microfracture part of it, which is a scary word, understandably, because yeah. uh, those microfracture knee injuries are a big deal. He's not ready to go at the beginning of training camp for Dallas. Uh, they're in an interesting situation. They actually st- like were playing Maurice Door at, at point guard a little bit, who's a six nine guy with like a seven one wingspan, wow. uh, which is ridiculous because they have four point guards on that <laughs> roster with Darren Williams and Devin Harris and, and Raymond Felton and JJ Barea. Like they don't need a fifth point guard, but apparently they do.
2: Also, uh, Mike Miller signed in Denver.
1: Yes um which is another weird thing why
2: he doesn't really fit that well no, there he
1: doesn't why is mike why is denver signing mike miller
2: yeah that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me
1: i mean i get why mike miller signs in denver because there's legal access to a certain drug <laughs> but i don't get why there's why denver signing mike miller like he doesn't fit in with what they do at all he's not like a defensive guy he's uh, why does why does mike malone want him i have no idea i don't get a, uh, uh, why just why i want an explanation
2: people do some weird stuff. Do we have time to do we have time to talk about the SportView thing or do we have to go to break?
1: Uh, let's do it real quick.
2: Super fast. An article came out today from a tracking site called Vantage Sports. Vantage is a, one of similar to SportView tracking, except that, and we've talked about it before, they they visually uh they have actual people tracking their games and they track things like how often does a guy stay in front of a screen right. and various things like that, whereas SportView is tracked by computers. Effectively an article came out on Vantage today saying SportView contested and uncontested numbers, as far as shooting, are not accurate because they don't account for when a guy does or does not have his hand up. Right, which, which on the surface is true. true. On the surface, this is this is not correct.
1: even on the surface. It's straight up true.
2: It is true. That said, that people have done the math on the error percentages that that sort of thing introduces into the SportView logs. It's anywhere from a 1% to 2% error. I mentioned Seth again. He's our guy as far as that stuff, and he's the guy as far as that mm-hmm. sort of stuff you know, on the national scene. He wrote an article kind of responding to it. on Interestingly enough, it was a nylon calculus writer that wrote the article right. on, on Vantage. He, and he wrote uh a, a a response to it that basically said, A, we already know that, and we factor that into our to the analysis that we do based on it The part he didn't include that I would have included had I written it is that the site making those observations in the first place has a lot of issues with their own tracking in the first place because they're doing subjective tracking by humans. I had access to that site for a while and while my goal in life is not to crap on anyone there yeah, were a we lot of
1: about this New year's resolution
2: I'm sorry there were a lot of there were a lot of well the whole point of their site is to put out a, a viable product right? right when i was working with them i that's not what i found to be totally honest i found a product that for the about i honestly found about a quarter of the time the plays were not classified correctly and it, to me it's a bit of a pot in a black kettle situation if you're trying to call out someone like sportview when really a lot of those same issues are going on in house for them
1: yeah no i i agree with that i think there are some issues with sportview data in that you know like having your hand up or not i would like that to be classified definitely no i would like the absolute closest position is for you know if i if i have my hand up defending a shot i want that to be measured as the distance between me and the defender rather than my torso to the the shooter's torso right because you know in 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 reality that's what matters it's not where my torso is it's where my hand is compared to his hand true and i think vantage can do a better job of tracking that because it's it's done by humans now that being said it probably doesn't I, i i thought both sides had good points
2: I, I would agree that the point is good. I to me, the where it was coming from was a little suspect. and also oh, like and all, more, more importantly, I think was the fact that they really have they've looked into that. And that's part of like people like Seth and those guys that that base lots of information off SportView shot data. That's a part of their those are caveats that are included in their write-ups and their analysis of it is listen, this tracks where a guy's torso is, not necessarily right. where his hand is.
1: Yes. We do have to take a break. On the other side, we'll be talking about how the Jazz are taking to Salt Lake City. Quinn Snyder and Trevor Booker had some great quotes about that. And maybe if we can, we'll get a Jack Cooley superhero quote in there, too, because it's great. That's next on the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700.
0: Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700.
1: All right we've only got about five minutes left in today's show, but I want to talk about a uh, little bit about how the jazz are taking a Quinn, uh, to Salt Lake City. by yeah. the way, Andy Larson here Ben Dowsett uh two quotes from Quinn Snyder and Trevor Booker about their relationship with the with the town. Let's hear from Quinn first
4: It's gratifying to be able to feel that within an organization and frankly for me personally to find it within a community. Um, I didn't go out to dinner a lot last season. Um, But having a chance to to just, you know, to live a little more regular life, um, it was a fun and and rewarding experience. And and that's one of the reasons that our guys come back during the summer, uh, because they do feel so comfortable. So um, I just wanted to note that.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a big deal. Like, Quinn Snyder feels comfortable here. And and hopefully, you know, if if everything goes well, he wants to stay in in Utah for a long time.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's... Again, I, I just don't feel like he's one of those guys that would say something different if it wasn't the case. Like, he would probably skirt around the question or just – I don't even think the question was about that. Like, I think no, he kind of brought th- – I don't even think statement. it was a question. Yeah. It was a statement. So, yeah, that's that he's bringing that up of his own accord. Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, and then Trevor Booker said something kind of similar.
5: You know, it's a great organization. The, the city is great, family-oriented. It's great for my family. Um, it's just a, a perfect fit for me.
1: Last off season, both of these guys came here during last off season, and uh, I, I think immediately kind of went into the community and and started uh, either doing these kind of charity events. You know, Trevor Booker's done a serial thing. Uh, and, and it's kind of been loved by the community back. I mean, Trevor Booker once he said what he said about NS Cantor, was, was yeah. going to be love for life.
2: And with what he does, the the way he kind of is on the court, and the, the the how expressive and demonstrative he is, and how hard he works, I I think I'm fairly confident he's going to end up back in Utah after this year. But that's just me. Okay. Unless Trey Lyles is like awesome, and it's and it's like we need to give those minutes to Trey right away.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and I doubt that happens during his rookie season because no, he's, he, he's a freshman, you know, coming <laughs> off his freshman season. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's good to hear. You hear from the NBA guys that, like, those players who, if you talk to someone who has been in Utah and have been in Salt Lake City, they actually really like it. Uh, and, and it's kind of whether or not a given free agent ha- had a good relationship with someone who played in a Utah Jazz uniform at some point, whether or not that free agent is likely to sign in Salt Lake City. Yeah. Um, Trevor Booker may have been a little bit of an an exception to that where the Jazz were able to kind of convince him on, hey, we're going to give you a a decent amount of money, I think more than a lot of people expected, and you're going to have to fight for your role in a a way that he kind of – I think he liked that challenge with the Utah Jazz, Um, but in terms of the Jazz having so much cap space next summer – being able to sign those free agents, the ones that they want, is going to be a big deal.
2: Yeah, and if you have to give Trevor a couple more bucks than you thought you were originally going to, that's not going to be a problem next offseason.
1: That's true, because they have so much money. I mean, it's about $20 million just to get to the cap floor for next season.
2: Yeah. We have a Jack Cooley quote before we get out that's like one of the great yeah, things anyone's it. ever said. So Jack oh. Cooley
1: was asked about what his who his favorite superhero would be in the wake of the Salt Lake Comic Con coming uh, last week
6: uh my favorite superhero would have to be that's a great question by the way it would have to be um i would have to say batman probably because he's just a normal rich dude and um anybody can be a normal rich dude if you work hard enough (laughs) so that's kind of what i strive for
2: one of the saddest days of my life was just recently when i discovered that jack cooley has me blocked on twitter and i don't know why I seriously have no idea why. I do not recall. I didn't follow him, and I did not recall I was going to his page to try and follow him, and I, I didn't even know that I had ever interacted with Jack Cooley What'd on you Twitter do, before. Man? I honestly this... don't think we've ever had an interaction, and it has to be from something else. I don't think you interacted,
1: else. but maybe you are like, Jack Cooley is, is trash.
2: And I've never said anything bad about him either. Jack, if you're hearing this, please unblock me on Twitter so I can see the wonderfulness of your tweets.
1: Maybe maybe you said something on air, and he's he's a regular listener to the show. That's entirely possible. I mean, he's just a normal rich dude.
2: He is, yeah. He's just a normal rich dude.
1: We, we brought that up, actually. Actually, that like the the step one to becoming Batman is, is having NBA talent because then you can become rich. That's, uh, that's the easy way to become rich. OK, maybe not. Easy, Although
2: is but... he even is Batman even NBA rich? He might even be like more than NBA rich. Like He <laughs> might be like NBA owner rich.
1: He could be like Michael Jordan rich.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: How, yeah, how rich is Batman? What what's
2: the... Isn't the, I'm I'm basing this off the and people are going to hate me for this. I wasn't a comic book guy at all. So I'm basing my Batman experience off the most recent Christopher Nolan movies. Uh and ba- based off of those, he's like insanely wildly rich, like literally one of the richest people in the biggest city in the world.
1: I'm googling how much money does Batman have and Google because it's amazing actually pulls a result out of an article and wow. just puts it front. What does it say? As per Forbes fictional 15, <laughs> which is a thing, Bruce Wayne has a net worth of 7.0 billion. <laughs> Whereas Tony Stark of Iron Man is worth 9.4 billion.
2: Tony so, Stark's worth more than Batman? I can see that. Like nah.
1: Tony Stark is is like a multinational conglomerate owner whereas Batman I think is just like a it's a normal rich dude.
2: It's a pretty fantastic ending to our show, but by <laughs> by <the way. laughs>
1: Well, let's let's go ahead and wrap it up. Um, <laughs> if you want to listen to any part of the show, including our exclusive interview with Alec Burks, that'll be on ESPN700sports.com. Of course, the whole podcast goes up on iTunes as well as Stitcher Radio and SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Thank you guys so much for listening. You're listening to us on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN700.